Hello from the ABA annual meeting in lovely San Francisco, California. I'm Joe Patrice. This is Ken Dominguez, medical epidemiologist at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I'm James Hodge at the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University. And we're on the road with the Legal Talk Network. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us here on the road in San Francisco, as I said. So today we're going to be talking about the disease that's probably going to kill us all, or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, We're going to talk about Zika with some folks who actually know a good deal about it. So Professor Hodge, Dr. Dominguez, we hear a lot about Zika. We're freaking out. The Olympics are about to happen. I hear Hope Solo showed up in like a beekeeper outfit because she couldn't, couldn't stand to be anywhere near a mosquito. We all have kind of this pop news coverage understanding of it as something that's going to go out there, but you all know what's actually happening. So first of all, can you just like educate us on what this is, what it does, and what we should be worried about here? Sure. Sure. Ken, you know it better than I do. Go for it. Okay. Um, Essentially, Zika is what's considered an arbovirus, and there are other arboviruses. You may have heard of dengue fever. Um, chikungunya it's in the tropics. Those are all arboviruses that um, are spread by mosquitoes. And so Zika is sort of a new one that's come on, t- uh, on board recently. It's been around since the 1940s. It was isolated in Uganda initially. But since then, there have been a number of small outbreaks in various places in Africa, in uh, Micronesian islands most recently. And then just recently, it's actually hit the Americas. So it's now, you know, throughout South America, Central America, Mexico, um, the Caribbean. And just yesterday, you know, over the last couple of days, we've been hearing about local transmission of that virus in Miami, Florida. Now, you say Miami. Is this the sort of, is this the sort of thing that probably won't end up killing me up in New York because it's too cold? Or is this something that that can actually go everywhere? Um, it can go wherever the mosquitoes that transmit it are living. So, for example, um, they've developed a few maps showing the, um, the patterns of where those mosquitoes live across the United States. The mosquito that transmits it, at least the ones that we know about, it's called Aedes. Um, there's Aedes aegyptus and Aedes aldopictus. And the map for Aedes aegyptus is pretty much the lower third of the United States. Aedes aldopictus is much higher. It goes all the way up into New York. The good thing is that um, the one that, the Aedes aegyptus, which is more, um, it's more efficient at transmitting the Zika virus, is the one that's in the, only the lower third. Whereas aldopictus, the one that's more difficult to transmit, that's the one that's more widespread throughout the United States. Okay. Yeah, but Joe, let's clarify one thing too. This... Uh condition, this disease is a global menace, but it's not a global killer. This is not a disease that's going to kill adults in anywhere globally. Its death rate is excessively low. It's not Ebola. Well, it's a global menace, though, because of its impact on pregnant women and their infants and the potential for significant morbidity and mortality or death and disease related to infants and offspring from Zika-infected pregnant women. That's why we're studying it and watching it so very closely, and its impact in the United States now will be very heavily assessed by CDC and other entities nationally. And the other important thing to keep in mind is, um, aside from pregnant women, adults are also susceptible to something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. 
I have, though I don't know much about what that means. And it's essentially um, a neurologic disorder that it's basically an autoimmune response. So that's the body's attacking its own neurologic system. And it's usually brought on by some sort of infection as the initiating you know, event. And in this case, um, we've seen a lot of uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome in Brazil, which is you know, an older epidemic of Zika already. And we, in Puerto Rico, for example, uh, there was a recent article you know, sort of giving an update on the epidemic in Puerto Rico. And it showed that almost 60% of all the GBS cases were also Zika infected. So more than half of all the GBS cases. In general, you should know that a GBS is pretty rare. The global average is about two for every 100,000 people get GBS. And now with Zika, it's, you know, it's going to increase more than likely, and we're starting to see that. Hmm. Um, so the CDC is still making a determination whether they think Zika is causative for GBS, but they haven't come out and said that. We're still evaluating. Yeah, I mean, we have to be deferential to CDC on those issues. But to be sure, the links, according to the World Health Organization, look pretty strong. But even with GBS, again, it's not a killer, but it's frightening. Yeah. Americans that might see others uh, going to that particular condition and in adult life will be very concerned about the effect of Zika in their society environments and too. You don't want to be one of those few in 100,000 people no. that get oh, par yeah. a paralytic syndrome and you're sort of in bed for like a year. You know, some people are on a respirator. You know, others right. don't get that bad, but you know. You just don't want to be that person. And there's long-term effects of it too, Ken, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not a can have long -term one and done effects. sort of condition. Yeah. So it gives you a sense. This thing is for real. Yeah. It's serious. This is a major new emerging infectious condition that we're seeing in the United States for some of the first times. So back in June, I think it was, you wrote something in the uh, Journal of American Medicine about is the U.S. ready to deal with this? And at that point, it had not come to the U.S. And fast forward, now here we are. Walk us through, like, why why is the U.S. not ready? Was it a case of uh, the Ebola that cried wolf or uh, something like that? Yeah, great question, Joe. And just to be honest now, that article that appeared in mid-April in the Journal of American Medical Association did ask that question, but we did have cases in the United States at that point in time oh. through sexual transmission. That's what makes Zika so fascinating. This is not just mosquito vector. This is sexually transmitted condition as well. We had hundreds of cases in the United States at that point in time. But we knew the mosquitoes were coming. We knew that they would arrive. And now, of course, they're in Florida, and we're going to start to see them spread in other parts of the country. So my colleague, Larry Gossena, asked in that specific piece, are we actually ready for this? And honestly, we could be. Okay. But we're not. And the sole reason we're not is not because of our ability to stop it, it's not because of our lack of knowledge about it. It's not because of the lack of expertise. It is solely related to severe funding crisis and shortages tied somewhat to Congress, tied to states as well. This is becoming a causative factor in how well we can respond because we just don't have the resources to do it. An example of that is the issue of pesticide use to reduce the mosquito populations. And we'd like to think that you know, the mosquitoes are, will, will die once they're exposed to those pesticides. However, some of these mosquitoes are actually resistant to these pesticides, but you won't know that unless you do um, special testing for resistance, and that costs money. And so a lot of states would like to begin doing that sort of testing so they can find out, are we ready? Are we going to be able to use the right pesticides? But a lot of that's tied to money that they haven't received yet. Yeah. And that article raised a few issues, one of which was kind of a 
the the funding issue, but as you mentioned, the states there was kind of a federalism issue to sure, it too, sure. which I thought was very interesting. Oh yeah, Joe. I mean, who's responsible for what during these types of public health crisis events? These are always the sort of questions from a legal perspective built around federalism in the United States that crop up consistently. You know, actually, while we raise some really good observations there about who's responsible for what, I think we're getting clarification on that now. But we're also getting federal, state, tribal, and local officials across the United States uniformly saying the same thing. We need more resources. We've got the tools in place. We've got the uh, sort of leadership in place. But we need the resources to pull this off. If we don't get it, there will be excess morbidity and mortality in the United States tied directly to that lack of funds. And uh, the CDC actually worked proactively earlier this year, and they invited a number of states to the CDC to a Zika Action Summit. And the idea was to develop Zika action plans at the state level so that when we had this local transmission, the states would have plans set in place that they could move forward with. So, you know, those plans... That happened a number of months ago. And, you know, like I said, we're still waiting for some of that funding to come through. There's so many different factors, yeah. so many different parts of the plan. It's not just mosquito abatement or reproductive health issues or you know, better science, better surveillance. It's all of those factors. But I think, Ken, it's fair to say some of those things in those well-developed plans by state and local governments are just sitting there waiting for the infusion of resources. You're seeing that in Miami right now, and that's a factor that's going to play out nationally big time this fall. You raise the sexual transmission issue. One other observation from that paper that jumped out at me was that Congress was holding some of this stuff up on concerns that it might <laughs> lead to spending money on contraception, which you know would be a problem for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, we <laughs> see the politicization of these specific conditions all the time. We saw it with Ebola. We saw it with H1N1. We'll see it again in the future. But this is particularly onerous. Okay, so the, the most vulnerable people in relation to Zika are pregnant women and their infants, often low income, because they're the ones who can't afford the other specific types of interventions like air conditioning and other things that actually diminish your risk greatly. And yet against that backdrop of acknowledging this is the exact type of population in public health we're trying to protect, Congress puts up various fences and barriers to say, we can't let even one federal dollar be used towards that if it's built around contraception. And, of course, legally, it can't be built around abortion-related services. We've known that for years, and nobody was attempting to do that. But, you know, the public health interventions, Joe, that are available, that Congress started to use as a political argument to deny all funding, that's just – that's horrendous. And that's the type of politics you do, unfortunately, see at times behind these types of conditions. Well, going back to the Ebola thing, there was – there was an allocation of funds for Ebola that's just kind of sitting there. So is, yeah. is that something that can be used or has been started to be used? For that's this? been started to be used. Yeah, it was redirected. I forget how many millions of dollars, but I know that it was a large chunk from leftover monies from Ebola. Yeah, several hundred million. It was about all that the president and CDC director Tom Frieden could do. Yeah. It was the only option made available to them in relation to how to you know, find a pot of money sufficient to begin to address this. This is, this is politically troubling. It's impractical. Dr. Georges Benjamin at the American Public Health Association said in response to Congress's failure to fund, you know, this is, this is absolutely incredible. It's, it's unacceptable. And the reason why we can say that now specifically is 
the tools, the science, the knowledge are in place to combat this. We didn't know this maybe even one year ago exactly how you might go about it. We know now, and we know what will work in the United States. Now we've got to fund it. It's the only missing link at this juncture to really prevent a lot of additional disease among the population. Yeah, well, that's terrifying, but uh, it is, it's good to know. I guess the thing that we should be taking away from this is that there's, there's hope, that it, it really is just somebody turning on the funding spigot, and that's something that maybe the call to action to anyone listening is put pressure on people to turn on that spigot, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure they won't do because they're not going to go back into session because that, you know, that yeah. would be work. You saw Senator <laughs> Harry Reid of Nevada yeah. suggest let's do exactly that, and the president's asked for that as well. I don't predict it either. Yeah. But I think it is fair to say the pressure on Congress into September when they reconvene, potentially with other Zika hot zones in the United States, like in Miami and other yeah. major metropolitan areas, that pressure will mount. I think you will see federal funding, and I think you will see that spigot turned on. That's good news yeah. because on the challenging side of this, do recognize these are significant, longstanding, you know, major disease threats to adults through GBS potentially, but more importantly, to infants, a whole new generation of kids that may be impacted. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind is that Puerto Rico is right now in the midst of a really huge increase in the number of cases. And so we're concerned that uh, hopefully we'll be able to put in those prevention strategies in time, you know, to reduce those cases and exposures of infants to Zika. Yeah, that's good to remember. Puerto Rico is yeah. still also has had these cases even before right. Miami. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much for walking us through what's going on, the legal challenges that we face, and uh, hopefully something that we can start to beat in the very near future. So with that, thanks for joining us today on End of the Road. Uh, uh, this is the End of the Road. Oh, that's the that's the clever pun I'm doing for the end of a On the Road episode. That's... <laughs> That's okay. Fine. All right. I can do that. I can go with clever puns. Fine. So we're at the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank everyone for listening today and thank my guests for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, you should definitely rate it on iTunes or any podcast subscription app that you use to help us out. And we'll talk to you next time on another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I assume you'll be able to cut out some of this. <laughs> no. It was a moment of raw. I really did not know that's what we were going to do when I got to that part of the script. Now you realize. Like, oh, okay. It's going to be the corny thing. I get it. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Tell us we can If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Consult a lawyer.